0: You're listening to Finding Your Genius Zone with Dirk Novell. With the help of successful individuals across industries, Dirk breaks down the unknown parts of every vocation while highlighting the importance of finding a career where you can leverage your natural
1: skills, passions, and interests. Now here's your host, Dirk Novell. Hi, this is Dirk Novell. Welcome to my podcast. Uh, On with me today is a friend of mine, Kevin Hostler. Kevin, welcome. Hey, thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for having uh, coming aboard. You know, I was uh, able to have Kevin's wife on, I don't know, six, seven, eight weeks ago, and she was amazing. I've met Kevin um, years ago. Kevin married a friend of ours, um, and I've gotten to know Kevin a little bit. I don't see him as much as I'd like to. He, he lives not far from me, so we need yeah. to we need to change that. But yeah. Kevin is in the world of software engineering. He's worn a lot of hats, had a lot of responsibilities. He's high up with Microsoft. He's worked at Amazon, um, lived in North Carolina, spent some time in Georgia, and now we have him here in Washington. So welcome to the Pacific Northwest. Um, (laughs) So Kevin, why don't you tell the audience a little bit about high level, what it is you do, how you got into it, et cetera.
0: So high level, I'm a software engineering manager um, at, at Microsoft, at Microsoft they call them principal uh, software engineering managers, that's most likely a director at most companies, but uh, I love it. I'm in the uh, Microsoft security org. So I work on the the attack surface management team, which is a sounds really cool when you think about cybersecurity, but it is a foundation in protecting uh, corporations from from cybersecurity attacks, right? So um, but I've been in this industry a whopping 28 years. Um, it's been great. I've uh, it changed my life. I uh, got into it kind of on a not a whim. I had a uh, a mentor, Bob Costona. He still is in North Carolina, who told me, "Hey, you should look in this software thing," right? Uh, I think it's going to be big. <laughs> so I uh, went back to school and uh, found out I had a really good affinity for uh, software and solving problems and being analytical. So uh, the rest is literally history. It's um, It's been a great ride. Did you say Bob is his name? Yeah, Bob Costona. He actually is a, a, was a great mentor of mine uh, when I was uh, young in my 20s and looking for a direction. And, um, you know, he, he's gave me the spark. Love
1: it. Hey, Bob, good call on the software. I think you were right. <laughs> yeah, um, was awesome. So I'm curious, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of imagining, like, I want to know what age were you when he talked about this and then kind of curious where, you, what direction were you going down at that time? Like, right. were you in a totally different world? And he said, oh. Hey, hold back. Let's, let's consider something different.
0: Yeah, so um, it, it's, an, it's an interesting story. So I was about 25 years old in that range. And I was a, an exhibit design. Um, I was a exhibit designer at a natural science museum. So I was one of the people that uh, built and designed the exhibits that customers or um, patrons would go into a museum and see, right? And my uh, job was to design those and build them, right? Uh, and one day I was putting in this exhibit, and they had a touch screen. It was one of the first touch screens back then, and I was really curious about how it worked. And I told Bob about it, and he was like, "Hey, you know, there's this thing called software, and that's how it works. And so you should ask the people who installed it if you could go and um, look at how they do it." And they agreed. Ah, uh, they took me to their shop. They took me, and I was all these cRT screens and people behind them. And I couldn't understand what they were doing, but I was fascinated by the end result. And so um, I looked into going to school back to school. and um, and it was a, it was one of the things where being analytical, I didn't realize that. But the design work that I did at the museum was the same analytical process. And so it fit really well into
1: software design. So was this around you said 25? I was about 25 years old. Yeah. So if you don't mind, like, take me back to Kevin at 18, 19, 20. (laughs) Like, what were you thinking? What were you doing? What was your like,
0: dream? Yeah. So, okay, so at 18, I either thought three things. One, I was going to be uh, a high jumper in the next Olympics. I was either going to do that or I uh, was going to go to school for, uh, which I did, uh, fine art and work at Disney. Uh, or at the time, 18, um, I entertained going into the military because a, a large part of my family is in the military. Okay. So my mother, uh, she asked that and said I was going to college. Uh, I was the first male in my family to go to college. So she's like, you're not giving that up. And um, yeah, I think that was the that was my thought process at the time. Uh, was that um, I was either going to be a track star or uh, <laughs> some some you know famous artist that uh, worked for companies like Disney.
1: So you were creative, or are
0: creative? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was my kind of my thing. Yeah. Um, you know, I played music. I you know, I uh, did a lot of drawing and painting at the time. So
1: yeah. And, and the reason Kevin, I asked, is just, cause it's like, it's interesting when you go back in time and you think about the, the obvious things, like what you did on a Saturday with your buddies or mm-hmm. what you spent all night doing at the, you know, back then maybe we didn't have the types of computers, but like I always tell people to pay attention to the obvious, the little things that light you up. Um, okay. So 18, 19, 20, you went back to school and then the design. So just so I understand, is that you going into a museum, And someone's going to do a work, a piece of art or something, and you have to design everything that goes around or how that art is displayed?
0: So it's more in the, uh, this was a natural science museum, so it's really talking to a lot of scientists. So my first job, for example, was uh, they had a live snake exhibit in the North Carolina Natural Science Museum. And my job was to redesign it so that it was more welcoming to all ages. So both kids and adults, because they had live snakes in the in the exhibit, right? And so I worked with a lot of scientists to kind of get a feel of what they wanted to um, portray the, they want people to be welcomed in and, and learn about the snakes. So um, they wanted to be kind of a, a leading um, people are led to see. The bigger snakes and the, and learn about those poisonous ones versus the non or the venomous ones versus the non venomous ones, and so we talked to a lot of scientists about how to design that, and so that was my job. That that's just like that, just talk to them, come up with a small drawing, and then a um, then a prototype, basically made out of styrofoam, and then build it.
1: Yeah. So I'm kind of thinking the analytical part of your brain is kicking in where. You're talking you're thinking you got to do this and that and this yeah. and then okay so fast forwarding you get into the world of software was it a situation of at a young age where like oh my god i love what i'm doing or did it take a while to kind of sink into your you know your groove and In software <laughs> yeah
0: brother literally the first thing that worked i was hooked it was like a drug i i, I kid you not it was Uh, I remember doing like uh, I was in school, and we had to write this um, little short program to um, not only to pull some information out of a a data table and display it on the screen in a certain order, right? And when it didn't work, and it didn't work for a couple of days, and then it did, and I was hooked. I was so I mean the adrenaline rush from that was. It was addictive, and I wanted it all the time. I, I mean, I, I was one of those engineers that stayed up all night and just literally trying to find that rush again. And so, um, I was hooked. I was hooked on it. And it's problem solving. It's, if anyone has a like has done a a puzzle and figured it out, and that feeling you get from it, that's what these engineers feel every day.
1: Yeah, no, and I and I'm kind of thinking about you as a high jumper. And I'm like, it's, it's got it's it's gotta be a little different, the adrenaline, right? Yeah.
0: Well, yeah, that's that's a little different. But I mean it's it was a it was a lot of fun in the beginning. Um, because I, there was a lot of problems to solve when I got into the to the uh to this business in this industry. I mean, the internet was just getting started. Yeah. Um I tell people that I was there before uh, when, when the dial up was just it was just getting started when you you had really slow dial up and and things were uh, just creeping along. But um, but the work was there was a lot of challenges to solve back then. So um, it was a lot of fun.
1: No, I love what you're saying. I want to get into that. But I, it's funny when I started, I got into technology at a young age and a buddy of mine worked for a company. It was called. Um, internet in a box. Mm -hmm. And and it was like, I remember, you buy the box and it's all dial up. And uh, I think it was Sprynet, I don't know. And then I went to go work with Mark Cuban at broadcast.com and then bandwidth was a different world. But I remember that dial up noise. And uh, the moment it connected, it was like, yes. But yeah, Yeah. but what you're saying, Kevin, I think it's really, really, I think if you're listening, the 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 adrenaline of puzzle, putting together a puzzle, uh, and in solving something, I think, um, you know, even in my world, I have different skill sets on my team and Mm -hmm. you have processors and loan officer assistants and, you know, the putting together the puzzle of all the pieces of documentation and Mm -hmm. it's really important. So I think that's a really interesting thing you say, because I think if you're listening, you should pay attention to, you know, that. And I think for me, I enjoy that, but I probably not at the level you do. getting into uh, getting into the, the business, like the puzzles become more complicated yeah. as you get bigger yeah. projects, et cetera. Can you just kind of walk me through nothing confidential on a client, but just give me an idea from like A to Z on maybe in recent years or in the last 10 years of a major project or a major puzzle that you put together. And the reason I want you to uh, articulate is just to really get clear so the audience can like understand exactly what it is your role was and whether you're the one coding or whether you're the one, you know, meeting a, a client, them saying this is our problem, creating a solution, going back to coders. I don't really know what the steps are, but maybe you can kind of talk to us a little bit about that.
0: Yeah, so there's there's a couple of different ones and I'll I'll bring one back from when I was an engineer, because I've been a manager for quite a while now, um, where I was working for this company called Learn.net, and they were they build learning management systems for corporations like uh, like Allstate and, and and others. Right. And uh, they needed a a more uh, cooker, cutty cooker, cooker, cut solution for. Um, multiple clients, so they wouldn't have to keep rebuilding the same thing over. And so the VP of engineering uh, was talking about this problem, uh, literally over coffee. We were getting coffee together in the break room, and he pulled out some notebook paper and started literally drawing out what he his vision of what this this new product would be. And one of the things that I find fascinating, fast forward to my position today, is that that process of thinking and uh, brainstorming still exists. Like every project that's ever been done has a portion of brainstorming that has to be done. And that's when you start to get creative. How can we build this where we can uh, apply to multiple clients and customers versus uh, just one? And so we start pulling all these ideas together and he's drawing on, the, on this copy paper out of the copy machine. And when he was, we were like, yeah, this is gonna work, he handed me the drawing. And that was my first um, design document <laughs> that was handwritten. And then you take that and you turn it into real, real design um, requirements. How? How? What resolution are we going to be working with? What's the data store we're going to use? What's the technology we're going to use? And all the connective tissue, you have to decide on that, right? And at the time, um, there was a ton of options, but, um, you know, we just picked the latest and greatest, and then we start to um, create our critical path. What, what are the, the main objects that we need in order to have a minimum viable product? And uh, and we started building that. Um, So piece by piece, step by step, uh, we started building a foundation and then you build more features in, and then um, the process just keeps reiterating on itself.
1: You said something, I don't want to forget, like, so when you're collaborating and you're working with say a client or a partner, this was a VP of engineering, but I would assume like, like ABC company has a need and you work so when you create a solution for that company, but you realize that solution can be maybe in any industry or vertical, is there ever an issue? I just never thought of this. Is there ever an issue like, no, that's our idea for our company. Uh, I don't want you, you know, using it with other verticals and you know, software, you know, cyberspace security or cybersecurity, for example. Yeah. Like, do you ever get into that kind of like, or are you say, listen, we'll create this, but we need to be able to offer this to other? similar types right. of industries
0: right 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 so i understand i mean it's 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 uh a little bit of both uh of course you don't want to give away their secret sauce if your if your software you built has it has some of that their business logic in it um but in most cases when you're trying to extract a uh, a white label or something that applies to multiple industries it's really generic and so you don't run into that quite as often because you're trying to make it generic. You're not trying to make it specific for um, a customer or even an industry in some cases, right? Yeah. And so that was part of the problem was to how do we make this so generic that multiple industries could use it? Uh, because some of the terminology we're using uh, was uh, insurance specific and, and, and things of that nature. So uh, it, it actually turned out to be a very good exercise, not just for me, but for the company to start thinking on that, at that one scale and um, at that level, that high level of, uh, what if we applied this to multiple industries?
1: Yeah, I'm kind of wondering, like, I know like everyone knows Excel and PowerPoint, and I know those are, but do, do the ideas come first and then they're ramped or uh, rolled out to the companies? Or does it typically come from a conversation with a company uh, because I'm, I'm kind of thinking maybe Excel was uh, brought up in a coffee talk with you know somebody, hey, I really like a better way to organize data. And they created Excel, which everybody, does it start yeah. with the company or does it start with, hey, let's roll this out for all companies? Uh, it
0: varies, right? It's sometimes, sometimes it's um, a company has a need and you build software for that particular need and it's very specific. And then another company comes to you with a similar need and then you realize, wait, um, this may apply to more than just me, right? So that that epiphany happens. And then sometimes um, people just have, through conversations with both clients and employees, they have an idea like, hey, I think we could connect the dots here. For example, um, in the industry I am now, like in cybersecurity, there are lots of different angles that the bad guys can take. And so therefore, you have to sometimes link different um, technologies and um, uh, intelligence together in order to combat that, right? Um, And so sometimes the idea comes out of the need, uh, or sometimes the idea just comes because you built one thing for one client, and then that sparks, you know, other
1: ideas right I, I did a podcast, gosh, I don't know two and a half months ago with another Microsoft exec. And when I hear you talking, you're in a software engineer, but it also sounds like you're a biz dev guy yeah. like it, so I guess I'm kind of curious uh it's it seems like they get blurred together because you're coming up with a a strategic solution, but yet you you know the back end, the coding, and the way it works. Yeah. So are you kind of biz dev slash software engineer? or is there a biz dev person that you work with?
0: Yeah, so over the years, over the years, uh, I've uh, been able to, unfortunately, been able to um, hold the role of both. So I started out as an engineer, Um, then I worked for a company called Forbes Travel Guide that um, I was able to um, talk to clients a lot more, hear their need, bring that need back to the organization, build software, my team built software around those needs, and and then go back to get feedback. And then, you know, And so I've been honing more of that biz dev um, mentality over the years. And I think it's really helped actually, and the idea generation and the brainstorming part of the software development, right? Because you're starting to see and put together um, the little ideas that eventually become software
1: so when you're filtering a conversation in in your brains like thinking are you thinking code software like which software (laughs) do we do like what's the best way to build this is that kind of what your brain does yeah
0: sometimes it's sometimes i'm i'm hearing the problem and my and my engineering brain is making the connection of that's possible i know that's possible um and i've been in the industry long enough to To even say, hey, we've actually done that before in some totally different other uh, you know construct or or um, area and or industry, and I know that that's possible, right? And so I think it gives me a better uh, view from the business down to engineering, and then I can translate. That's the other part that sometimes gets. Um, missed is that being able to translate the requirements of the customer down to the engineer sometimes needs you need to have an engineering brain and a biz dev brain uh, and then um, and then make that connection but i'm like a biz dev as a second language <laughs> right
1: <laughs> no, i get it i get it um i'm thinking too like for you to be able to like play both sides of the fence like you must have had experience in your earlier days writing code yeah. or you know doing whatever right so it's so like if you're managing a group of people that code or whatever you probably know what they're doing on a yeah. day-to-day basis okay yeah. um so do you ever get do you ever do code or are you just basically dealing with people are you managing people to do I'm managing the people uh, okay.
0: for the most part i i don't write a lot of code anymore and i haven't been in that position to write a lot of code. I have written code like personally, um, just because I have an idea and it's like, you know, you get up in the middle of the night and like, you have an idea and it's like, Hey, will this actually work? And you kind of play with some stuff, but I don't write production code anymore. I leave that for our very talented young people.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And so like, and I was trying to think how to phrase this next question. So when I met you, and I, I don't assume, but like you're like engineers. I know a lot of engineers, I, buddies of mine, and they're very, um, some are very introverted. Some are very just, pro- you are like very warm. And I mean, we, we got, I know we got along and we laughed and it's like you really have a, a range of skills where you can go down that road, but you can also go down the other road of just yeah. relating to people. Um, I guess my question is about, people that want to get into this, maybe they just want to code. Maybe they want to do what you're doing, but what would you say is like the trait that served Kevin? Like, what is it that makes you good at what you do? I I read a little bit about some people did reviews on you. And one of them that stuck out was how uh, calm you are under pressure and your demeanor. Right. Uh, and I assume there's stressful deadlines and there's things that happen and whatever. Um, is that one of the the components of Kevin that makes you unique and good at what you do?
0: I think uh, um, I've always felt like I've had a engineering slash creative part of my brain. Always, um, I like building things. I, I was one of the kids that took stuff apart, you know, to try to see how it worked. But the other part of it is is that uh, I do like. Um, you know, talking to people, understanding how their point of view, right, um, when I, some of the jobs I've had, I've had to interact with the customer. And it's really interesting to see, well, how do you actually use the product? And you only get that from being um, uh, open to that conversation, if you will. And so I don't put myself in one bucket or the other. I think. Uh, again, I um, part of my personality is, hey, if you come to my house, um, we're gonna, you know, break bread and and have a laugh and um, and um, tell stories. But the other part is that I like to go in my office, shut the door, and and really try to think and create and write and and do those um, things that are isolated as well. So if you're talking about, if I'm going back to I'm talking to my son who's 28, right? And I'm trying to get him to go into this industry because actually he has the mind of an engineer. Um, I'm telling you, you don't have to just sit in front of a computer all day. It's not always that. In fact, that's the easy part. The hard part, the part that takes the other part of your talent is collaboration, problem solving, networking when you need to get things done, even at a small company, Um, that's, you know, that's part of it too. So um, understanding that there's a sales department and a HR department and and all these things and being able to navigate that. Um, So I feel like my personality being kind of um, not isolated to one or the other has actually helped me in my career.
1: So, what would you say? Like, I'm curious, like your your days, your nights, mm-hmm. your Thursday morning, your Sunday afternoon, like, what is it like to be in your world as far as schedule control of your schedule? Uh, I know, you know, recently, uh, you and Michelle have been doing a lot of traveling. So you've had some free time. And I know you're down to single digits in terms of getting to the next chapter of your life. Yeah. But if you look at the like the last 20, 25 years, were you a nine to five were you a nine to four then you go back to your computer at night like help yeah. the audience understand if they want to go down this road what they're going to be dealing with in terms of schedules
0: right so it, it really depends um there obviously we're in an age where um software engineer is growing is growing really fast really rapidly even with ai um it's 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 not it's not causing things to slow down at all. So there's always deadlines. There's always pressure, in some form or fashion, right? So a nine to five is not really your job as an engineer. It's kind of whenever you can get it done, and how much ever time you need. Um, the way that I balanced uh, work life balance in the beginning is there was none, <laughs> because I worked a lot. It wasn't the best thing. But again, I'll go back to the fact that I was addicted to it. Um, I would would sit down and to watch a baseball game and all I could think about was the problem I was trying to solve. Right. And um, so I was addicted to it. So I wouldn't advise that methodology. But um, there it, there is something to be said that sometimes you do wake up in the middle of night with the answer to the the problem you're trying to solve don't fight that um, let it let it flow because sometimes that's when you are your best and another thing my mother taught me actually was that um, everyone has the best time of day that they work and if you can figure that out and kind of if you can manage your schedule around that that's that's the that's the ultimate uh, and I was able to over time be able to to do that I'm a midday kind of guy. Um, I'm not a super early morning or super late at night. I'm a midday kind of guy. So, uh, I, I try to
1: schedule, make my schedule around that.
0: And, I like, um, I like that.
1: I like that. Yeah. So what time do you get up usually on average?
0: Uh, you know, I get up around seven 8 just because I like to get up and meditate a little bit, have my coffee before the day starts. Um, and just really, uh, I've been doing a lot of the meditation gratitude kind of thing in the morning. Um, and that's how I start my day a little with a little quiet. And then, um, and then I get going and then I, you know, it's meetings and, um, then looking over, uh, projects and thinking about the next project and planning and strategy and vision and all that kind of stuff. But, um, and then I, I try to do, uh, some exercise at some point during the day, uh, whether it's run or lift or, uh, I'm a golfer or so play golf, you know, um, even if it's just going to the range and hit a bucket of balls, I mean, just to clear your mind. Um, and, and that's it. I mean, it's, um, that's my day. Um, but today, these days I do a lot more meetings than coding, obviously, but, um, the, men,
1: the mentality is the same. And can you do your job from home pretty easy? Yes.
0: Yeah. Actually, right now there's not a lot of people that are in the Washington state that are on my team. Um, I have a team in, um, in Atlanta and um, um, part of my team is here in in Redmond, and then I have people that are in um, uh, San Francisco or the Bay Area.
1: Okay, so yeah. just uh, kind of putting a period at the end of the sentence on schedule. So if you're interested and say you're someone who wants to have a family and coach their kids in sports or whatever, it sounds as though there's flexibility around the schedule as long as you get it done.
0: Yes. Yeah. Okay. In fact, I, uh, my son played baseball, um, and football and basketball and through through his junior high, high school career. I may have missed one game. And so, yes, uh, you can definitely, I made that a point though. Right. So you just make it a point to spend that time.
1: What would you say? And I know you, you are still employed. So I'm not here to ask you to talk (laughs) negative about uh, your employer. I've heard of them, by the way, uh, Microsoft. Uh, But like every job has good and bad or pros and cons. What would you say is the hardest part? Looking back, maybe it's something that caught you by surprise, or maybe you knew what you're getting yourself into. But is there something that if your son is 28, that you might want to warn him about? Again, no job is perfect, but what right. is there, what is one or two things that maybe people should watch out for if they're gonna go down this road?
0: So at a large company, like I mean, it's Microsoft, is you know one of the largest software companies in the world. I mean, there's not a there's not a place that you doesn't know about Microsoft, right? So that's a different beast than if you went to a startup, obviously. Um, but I I I have to say before, I I have to preface this whole answer by saying I'm at Microsoft because of the mentality that Microsoft has today, right. Um, They have a mentality of uh, integrity and accountability and respect and we all had to um, essentially buy into that and I love that I think it's. It's the reason why I stay. It's the reason why I don't look at another company. It's the reason why I want to end my career here. Um, having said that, I mean it's a large company, and um, while each business unit is their own entity, and they, you know, you kind of um, uh, can work within that ecosystem and not have to, um, you know, not have to really branch out that much. It's uh it's still a large company and, um, you don't you don't always have the, uh, closeness I should say right that you would at a smaller company. I worked at a smaller company before. The CEO and I had lunch at least twice a week, and we would he would just the transparency from his position to my position was literally over from Bur- a Bergen fries, right. At a large company, you don't get that. You don't get that. It's it's a lot of the a lot of time is spent taking information from up on high down to the the engineers and the and the people who are getting the work done, and then that information has to go back up. And so there's a lot of a lot of that. And mm-hmm. I don't. Um, I think every company, every large
1: you know company has that, but you know Microsoft's not immune to that. I am curious, and again, I'm not trying to set you up and ask you uh, questions that get in trouble, but you worked at Amazon, you're at Microsoft, like two very popular, big, successful companies. Is there a major difference between the two, or would you say maybe they're more similar than different?
0: Um, I think maybe, you know, 15 years ago, they might have been a more similar. I think Amazon is still... um, Microsoft, in my opinion, is a better company for employees than Amazon, in my opinion. Um,
1: That's fair. I mean, yeah, I, I totally I think I understand it. You don't you can go deeper if you want, but I think it's so important to think about to my audience is, you know, everyone's attracted to the big sexy companies that stock options, whatever, but. I think you really need to understand the culture of maybe not the company so much, but maybe your manager, like your wife, Michelle talked a lot about people don't leave companies, they leave managers. And what I was really, you know, with her podcast, I was really, I would say surprised, but it was really interesting that like, I'm a unique guy. I'm an individual. I don't know Mm -hmm. if you know what an Enneagram is, but I'm a type four. I kind of like to do my own thing, but she was saying, you know, Microsoft really celebrates uniqueness. And if you're different or whatever, it's not like you need to fit in a box and be a robot. No. And I assume, again, a lot of it is based on your boss, your manager.
0: Yeah. And I'm yes.
1: guessing you as a manager probably create a really cool environment for your people, which um, I guess at the end of the day, if you're interested, I, I think it's smart to do your research on, on who you're going to be working for and you know the culture and just the vibe that they have going on.
0: Yes, I'll, I'll give you two points on that. One, um, I'm a manager. I I'm a um, more of a servant manager or a servant leader, right? I my job, I feel, and my um, vision for managing people is to put them in a position to succeed, and then uh, give them the tools and the the leeway, even. To, to succeed. Um, on my team, uh, we deal with a lot of ambiguity. And so I have to uh, prepare my team for that and also give them the autonomy to um, make decisions, to do research, to figure it out. Right. And so that's kind of the, the principles of how I lead. Um, but going back to Amazon, I, I think people should try it if they get the opportunity, but pay attention, um, because I can tell you right now that um, if I had paid attention to the interview, then the interview would have told me how my experience would have been at that company. Um, and so um, I didn't, and therefore I had to experience it uh, for in real time. But um, I don't think a large company is necessarily bad, because I think it allows you to get exposure to the big problems, right? And the big challenges. And I think ultimately, that's um, where a lot of engineers want to be, you know, eventually. I got it.
1: Okay. So as we wind down, what's the hardest part about what you do? Like, what's the thing that, is it meeting deadlines? Like, what is it that makes your heart rate go up? Oh, um, you know we're we're good at meeting deadlines. I,
0: I think that what makes my heart rate go up is that the we're in an a in the, we're in a information age where things change so quickly, and it's really really hard to understand one what that change is and what it's going to affect, and so you're constantly feeling like you don't know, and that really it's it's stressful. Um, however you know, you're on the cutting edge of a lot of things too. So, um, so yeah, it's a balance there, but that's what keeps me up at night mostly is that you never know what's going to be coming next. And it's,
1: and what is coming next is unknown. And so you have to figure it out. Which I think uh, leads me, it's a great segment. And I know this could be a long answer. We don't need to make it long, but AI, AI, um, I mean, AI is moving so quickly it's moving so fast. We don't even know where it's taking us. It's like, right. It's the acceleration of it is even the smartest people around don't know where it's taking us. So when you talk about change, uh, AI is like bold capital letters. The reason I bring it up is because I do a podcast on careers to try to help people understand what they're getting themselves into. Yeah. And I do believe AI like a lot of people are going to create jobs, but it's also going to eliminate jobs. In the world of software engineering, I would think that AI is going to be a or not going to be, but is a huge part. Do, do you see it taking away jobs or do you see it adding jobs? I have a
0: opinion about that, right? So, um I think it's adds jobs personally, right? I think it allows for more productivity and normally when you have more productivity doesn't mean that jobs are taken away that means that jobs are actually changing right so you may not be qualified for this particular new job yet but you can be right and so i think it is going to add more jobs than it takes away eventually um just because in my industry in, in cybersecurity, the bad guys have uh, ai too and so um for every move, we need to have a counter move. And so you need engineers to think about that. And how do we um, counter move? Also, AI needs to learn and be trained and and be optimized and, and have uh, integration, uh, points of integration into uh, places that don't even have software right now, right? And so um, it's still a growing industry. I imagine it's going to be a growing industry until My granddaughter is an adult, right? And so, um, uh, I don't think that there's going to be a problem as far as losing jobs. I think the jobs are going to change.
1: Yeah, fair enough. I, um, Mm -hmm. in my mind, I'm going back to your your words about your friend said analytical. You know, that's how your brain was at 24, 25. I assume that that trait of being analytical is also going to be necessary in ai type jobs so whether it's not coding it might change but you're still going to need to bring your analytical skill set with you to the new. okay um and then i was going to ask you you know i think you already answered it but like you know the the puzzle piece that you love the addiction of putting together um is that one of the things you love about software engineering? Is just the process and the puzzle putting together, and then the the completion and being like, "I did it."
0: Yeah. Yes. Uh, I mean, I had a friend who was a contractor, and we had a conversation about this once, and he has the same feeling when he's he's done, and the 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 building or the house or whatever is done, and he's you know, they've cleaned up, and they are leaving the the property. He has a sense of satisfaction. Like when we first got here, this was a was a blank slate. And now there's a a, a 10-story apartment building here yeah. and with people who are going to live here and um and raise their kids here or whatever, right? Um, software engineers, at least in my point of view, uh have that same feeling. There was no code on that page, and now there is, and it does something. And at Microsoft, um, you have the potential of millions of users using your code um, to run their business, to solve their problems. Um, and um, that's just a great feeling that comes with that.
1: Yeah, I get it. Do you ever feel let down at the end of the process? Like when you are you finish it and it's done, do you feel like, oh, man, or are you just looking for the next deal? Um,
0: sometimes. Sometimes. Sometimes you do get that feeling of that was fun. And now that it's over and I got to go to the next thing. Um, And I wish, you know, I wish we could keep going, especially sometimes when you're having to move to a different team or different set of people and work on something totally different. Um, Sometimes that's uh, there's a there's a letdown. Um, But most times you're just looking for the next thing again there's that's where the stress comes in because you don't always know what the next thing is going to be so um
1: i get it um is it okay so like in my job i spend time educating people on lending and and then we we sell them get them locked in hopefully they're loyal and they stick with you uh and then the hard work starts servicing the loan getting it to the finish line to fund a loan is there a finality is that i don't know if that's the right word but in your world it seems like there's a clear cutting off of we're done, uh, we're not going backwards, we're not going back to fix anything, we did it and we move on. Is it like that or do you get pulled back in? You get pulled back in because
0: okay. um, a lot of times um, you are, you own what you build. And so um, when customers have problems and things fixed, even though there's um, in some areas of software, there are separate support teams but the the fixes come back to you the maintenance comes back to you Um, we do have on-call rotation where people are on call to to take any um issues that might come up um customer reported issues or anything like that okay and so um yeah so we don't ever really really leave it um but um a lot of times you end up the team ends up working on something different uh
1: long term though Cool. Okay. So we're winding down. Uh, I know we've gone over time a little bit. Compensation. I'm not asking you, Kevin, what is you make, but if you're in software engineering, is it typically a salaried position? Uh,
0: typically, unless you're a consultant.
1: Okay. And then if you're a consultant, what is it?
0: It's like a, uh, per hour basis.
1: Okay. And so is there bonus or commission that's part of software engineering compensation? Um, um, yes. So it depends on the
0: company, right? And it depends on a lot of things, but yeah, so most, most large companies like the big mega cap companies have some sort of uh bonus stock compensation package.
1: Okay, cool. I, and again, I don't want to get personal, but I think anyone getting into a business like needs to understand how they're compensated. Yeah. You know, are they getting paid per deal? Do they get paid based on a recurring revenue out you book a business? Yeah. Um, the big question I always ask is, what is your advice to somebody that is kind of like you, take yourself back, yeah. analytical, loves puzzles, uh, is interested in working for a big company like Microsoft? Any advice you want to leave with the audience? My
0: advice would be, we're in a an in uh, information age, and it used to be that you had to go to school to learn this information, or you had to go to a library you don't have to do that anymore. That information is literally at the the tip of your fingertips. Just type it in, and you can learn anything. I would advise don't let the school or or the information gap be um, what keeps you out of the industry because you can learn anything. And um, and this is a very good industry to be in if you are again analytical, like solving problems um aren't afraid afraid of a challenge um i think it's it's really rewarding and you mentioned compensation it pays really well compared to other industries
1: so if somebody is you were lucky enough to have people around you i was lucky enough but i think you know a lot of what you just said this is what my podcast is is i'm trying to provide information a lot of people don't know what it's like to do a certain career. Yeah. So I'm thinking about some kid that lives in wherever, East Coast, the mm-hmm. South, that doesn't mm-hmm. have role models in his life or her life. And they don't know that the next step, maybe they're just trying to get through high school. I assume there's probably some classes, curriculum, online courses people can take uh, from their living room if they need to. Yes.
0: Yeah. Uh, actually, um, so I work with a couple of kids uh, in, uh, well, one in specifically, um, and literally it's just YouTube is your friend. And if you need, if you still can't find what you think you're looking for, because the library is vast I and I get that. Um, sometimes you just reach out to somebody, you know, we can reach out to me. Um, I can point you in the right direction, but it's really just, just go on to something like YouTube or LinkedIn example is another example. Um, and just get started. I think one of the things that people get afraid of, because the industry is so vast, they don't know where to start. And so start anywhere, right? Because all of the roads lead you back to the same general space. So just start anywhere. If it's um, Google, okay, well, let's find out what what does Google even do? Right? Uh, What kind of software do they build? And that's going to be a long list, right? Pick one. And Literally, all the information is right there. Um, and there are multiple videos from very smart people that can uh, give you the information that you need.
1: Like the video with you. I mean, <laughs> you're very, I'm serious. You're very smart. I think, I think if someone sits down and listens to this podcast and listens to you and not me, they're going to have a really good idea of, of a career. And if you pay attention, a lot of your life, a lot of your minutes and hours are spent working. So choose wisely. Okay. Last question. You're there's a a new chapter for you down the road. When you, I know you love to travel, but let's just take software off the table. If you could do anything, I, I I know retirement's going to be a little different. You're, I I can, you're going to be traveling. You're going to be playing golf. You're going to be hanging out with friends, but what would be a dream job for you? Like, what is something that, you know, you and I are close to the same age. If you could rewind the clock, (coughs) excuse me, not to say you would do anything different, but like, is there a dream job for Kevin? Like, you know, would it have been running track? Would it have been um, a professional golfer? What would it have been?
0: Well, uh, the track days are over and I'm I'm okay at golf. I'm not awesome, but you know, I'm okay. Um, But actually part of my retirement is going to be um, I have a lot of book ideas, um, fictional book ideas in my head. And I, over the years, I've been taking notes on on about nine different um, books, and I started two, uh, haven't really gotten very far. So um, I would love to be like a a writer and really put those ideas to paper and and um, then have people read them. So so I'm I'm looking at um, uh, being a writer in my in my
1: next life. Well. Let me know when it's published. I'll I'll read your book for sure. <laughs> I appreciate it. I, I'm serious. And let's go play golf. And uh, if you yeah. ever want to talk meditation, I do a lot of that too. Um, I, love, I love that. I think it's a great way to uh, start your day off or end your yes. day or whatever. But Kevin, you're amazing. Uh, really appreciate your time. And uh, thanks for coming on. Oh, thank you for having me.
0: And um, yeah, let's, uh, let's get some time to play golf. I love that. All right, man. Take care. All right, brother. See you.